We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm joined today by Kent Sterling to discuss the entire free agency weekend for the Indiana Pacers. Kent, what's going on, man? Not too much. Kind of quiet, right? Justin Holiday that got signed, uh, TJ Leaf traded. But other than that, all quiet, all quiet on the Pacers front. Yeah, we also did bring back Jakar Sampson on a minimum contract. And uh, Amita Brima's signed to an Exhibit 10 contract, and he was somebody they had last year on the training camp roster, somebody they really like. Um, nobody really on the two-way contracts, though, right? Right, right. And, and that's not really a surprise. And none of this is really a surprise, I don't think, because I, I really thought that Kevin Pritchard was kind of – was dedicated to this group of guys and seeing if in year two they had something or if they, uh, if they needed kind of a reboot. And, and so I think this is kind of that year two deal, despite the fact that Nate's gone and been replaced by another Nate. Yeah. So I, I guess, where do you want to start off with, with all of this free agency buzz? Well, I think it's, that it's really interesting that the Pacers didn't get a deal done with the Celtics, which makes me think that it was all, it was all smoke coming from, from Boston. If, if the Pacers wanted to get the deal done, I think they could have, uh-huh. you know, it, and it's, it's just a matter of, because what are the, the Celtics let Hayward go for nothing. Yeah. And, and so it wasn't a matter of boy, oh boy, you know what? Miles and, uh, and Doug McDermott aren't enough, you know, because they got nothing back in return. So, you know, I, I think they, they, that all the noise that we heard about the possibility of Gordon Hayward coming from Boston to Andy was generated by Ainge. And that's not a surprise. Well, I, I think there's truth to that. Now, I did see a report today, not a report, but I saw people from Charlotte talking about they really can't sign Bismack Biombo after the Gordon Hayward signing that they just agreed to a deal with. So they really think there's a sign and trade that's happening between Boston and Charlotte to a, yeah. to get the uh, Gordon Hayward done uh, deal done, which I don't know what that means for Nicholas Batum. Maybe they still have to waive him as well, which was reported they were, uh, were going to waive him for uh, do a wave and stretch for the three years for 27 million. So it's 9 million they're paying a year just to stretch them. And if that's for Hayward, they're literally paying, uh looks like $39 million a year. Boston is for wow. Hayward. So kind of, kind of interesting. I mean, or uh, Charlotte is, excuse me, but yeah. So uh, here's my thought process on everything. I think Hayward wanted to be here. I think the Pacers yep. wanted him here. I think that miles and McDermott were the stopping point for the Pacers. They weren't going to, you know, giveaway draft draft capital they weren't going to trade tj warren they were not going to trade aaron holiday he's someone they're really high on as well and on a very cheap contract which i think we really have to consider because of how close they were to the luxury tax before dealing tj leaf in a salary dump move so when it comes to boston i i just think what it is i, I think danny Ainge was trying to call gordon hayward's bluff because everybody kept saying well the pacers have more leverage than danny Ainge does as far as acquiring him 
But I didn't see it that way, Kent. I thought the Pacers can only get Gordon Hayward if they make a deal with Danny Ainge. So, of course, he's going to have the leverage because he's the only one that can get them the guy they covet. So that's why, basically, you have to think about these teams with cap space. Like, I was shocked that Gordon Hayward went to Charlotte just for the simple fact that I don't think Charlotte's going to be a playoff team, and I don't understand why a guy would want to leave a, a chance to be a playoff, you know, be on a playoff team in Boston or Indiana, uh, would, would want to go to a team in Charlotte just to be the number one guy. Well, it, it, I think the economics of the NBA kind of determined that you have to, you have to pick. If you're a guy like Gordon Hayward, who's, who's not dissimilar in, in several ways to Victor Oladipo, Right. Vic wants to get paid max money. Gordon wants to get paid close to max money. But if they're going to get max money, then they are going to be they're going to be the best player or at least the highest player need to be the best player on the team that they go to. And they aren't going to be in contention if that's the case. Yeah. Gordon Hayward could go someplace for 12 million a year and be a guy. Right. And, and, you know, be the fourth best state. I mean, he's not he, – the, the Celtics can't really keep both he and Tatum on the deals that both coveted and, and, and have the Celtics – I mean, it, that's just not possible, right? So if, right. if Hayward's going to be the guy, then he's going to be the guy for a mediocre team. If he's mm-hmm. going to be a guy, he can be a guy on a championship-level team. He'd rather be the guy than a guy – so this is where he winds up. Yeah, and, and I'm not really sure, I mean, why why Danny Ainge is being so stingy. I mean, it's just Danny Ainge, and you talked about it earlier. You're like, I don't want to deal with Danny Ainge when it comes to this and right. that months ago. And Danny Ainge is like dealing with the devil. I mean, that's just how it is. And I don't mean to say that, like, uh, to, to belittle him, but, I mean, I think he's just one of those guys he's really hard to deal with because if you look at it from his standpoint, he might think Gordon Hayward is substantially better than Miles Turner. So why would he want to make the Pacers better, a team that he's competing against, just because that player wants to go there? I mean, we couldn't acquire that player without Boston. So that's why I think he was just like, okay, well, you can go to Charlotte, you can go to New York, or you can come here. I'm not going to trade you to Indiana unless I get a massive haul back because I'm not going to make them better while I get worse, in his opinion. I mean, that's how I think he viewed the trade. That's why I think he was trying to get more assets from Indiana because we had to make the trade to get Gordon Hayward here. But now that he's on Charlotte, um, I don't think he really cares because he's a non-threat. It would be like us trading Vic to the Knicks. You're not going right. to worry about the Knicks being a playoff threat. But if you were to trade Vic to a team like Milwaukee and take back, you know, like an Eric Bledsoe-level player, you might be like, why would I trade someone I think's better value and, you know, sacrifice my team to better another team I'm competing against? You know, and Gordon Hayward, let's be honest about Gordon. We all love Gordon. He went to Brownsburg. He went to Butler. He's a a terrific citizen of this community. Everybody would love to see Gordon Hayward in a Pacers jersey. But if you're going to pay Gordon Hayward in the mid-20s to $30 million, and you're the Pacers, and he's 30 and going to be 31, 32, and 33 during this deal, you know what? That is a lot of jack to throw at a guy who's never going to be better than he was and what he was was not good enough to get you a championship. So it, this may wind up being the best deal that the Pacers never made. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I was just disappointed because I really thought Hayward, with Sabonis, Oladipo, Brogdon, and Warren would be a really, really, really fun team to watch. A little bit more modernized. He's a really good facilitator, a great shooter, another guy that can create offense for himself. And I think the Pacers were looking for someone like that because I think they need more creators. They don't really have a lot. And that kind of goes into play with the report from Michael Scotto from uh, Hoops Hype that they were interested in Fred Van Bleet and had discussed a sign-and-trade scenario with Van Bleet before he re-upped in Charlotte – or, uh, excuse me, Toronto. And then, of course, Bogdan Bogdanovich was somebody that was uh, reported the Pacers had interest in acquiring as well in a sign-and-trade there. But he ended up signing an offer sheet from Atlanta, so that deal can no longer be done. So basically the Pacers – you know, try to go out and go after three players that were going to be hard to acquire. But without any cap space, all you can do is make trades. And unfortunately, the Pacers are pretty set on who they will and will not give up. And I think for them to get a guy like a Hayward or a Van Vliet or a Bogdanovich, they're going to have to probably give up more than they want to. So they probably just have decided to stay pat and see maybe come around the trade deadline how things are looking and maybe revisit things there. 
And that's not a bad place to be. And, and I think shows mature management by Kevin Pritchard. He's not hysterical. He, he doesn't look at what this team was and think, okay, my God, we, we've got to find a way to go from projecting toward, let's say, 52 or 53 wins in a full season toward 60. And I know they're going to play 72, but let's talk in terms of win totals in 82 just to make it, make it simple on, on my feeble brain to calculate <laughs> the math. Right. Um, that, that, let's see what this team is with Nate Bjorkren and, and see how they develop. And let's see how, what Miles Turner can become with Bjorkren as the head coach. And let's see if Oladipo can find a way to happy here in Indianapolis and see if the team and Oladipo can find a way to make, let's say, 20, you know, where he's being paid now, $21 million a year. I got no problem with that. I, I don't think he's a max guy, and I don't think he's going to be a max guy. But he sure is an asset here if he's playing at pre-injury level. So let's see where he is. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, because when it comes to Miles Turner, last year he was on the trade block, and, and there was a lot of stuff going on with some noise around him possibly being moved during the offseason last year. And then this offseason, his name has been thrown around in multiple different trade packages for the guys that were mentioned earlier, Bogdanovich, uh, Van Vliet, and, of course, Gordon Hayward, the biggest one. If you're a guy that's, you know, been a part of this organization the longest, longest-tenured pacer, and your name's getting thrown around like that in multiple trade rumors, how does that affect – how do you think that affects Miles Turner uh, coming into this season? I don't think it should affect him at all. This is a business. Yeah. And, and while he knows he's a human being and he knows that the Pacers see him as a human being, you got to kind of be too tracked in your management. And Kevin, Kevin Pritchard sees Turner as a human being that he likes. He, he enjoys the skill level he brings to the game. But he knows at the same time that Miles Turner is an asset. And if you need to exercise that asset in order to bring more value back to the franchise, that's what you do. You know, mm -hmm. at, at some point, he's going to be a former Pacer, as will everybody. And, and so the, to take that personally, at the, to take it as a, uh, a motivating factor, that's okay. A lot of people have to find a lot of reasons to be motivated. Mm -hmm. But if, if you can't take it personally, you, you have to know what the score is that no matter where you wind up, you're going to be, you're a human being on one, on one side of the, one side of the coin, but on the other side of the coin, your name on a ledger with a number next to it. And if they can use that 18 million a year to go get somebody, if it could be somebody like Van Vliet, then, you know, maybe that's better for the organization. You're going to go someplace else. You're going to play. And at the end of the day, it's a business, right? It's yeah. a game, but it's a business. And, and I think Miles Turner is no trouble acknowledging that and, and understanding it. He's a smart guy. No, I mean, I agree with all that. I just feel like, you know how it is. It'd be like if you're dating a girl and you know that she's like, you know, been talking to other guys, but you're just trying to be cool with it because she keeps coming back, you, you know, yeah. kind of like trying to trade, trade you in basically. But it's just one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know. I feel like Miles eventually is going to get just burnt out with being in so many trade rumors because it would be frustrating. And I, and I do think that he probably wishes he could play the center position, the position he's more natural at. And I know him and Domas are good friends, which is great. But I also look at this roster and I think of what Bjorkren said, playing smaller, uh, staggering their minutes. I mean, we already saw McMillan stagger their minutes for the majority of the season last year. If they want to play smaller and stagger it even more, that means they're going to be reducing the amount of minutes that both Sabonis and Turner will get this season. And you'll probably see a little bit more TJ Warren at the four. You maybe see Justin Holiday at the four some more. And then on top of all that, you got to try to get Goga minutes as well. So that's where I'm just a little bit uh, dumbfounded on how this whole rotation is going to work. Well, it is going to be interesting to see, and we have no idea what Nate Bjorkman is going to be as a head coach. If it had been D'Antoni, we have an idea. We know what that looks like. He's been a head coach in the NBA for 16 years. With Bjorkman, he's never been a head coach in the NBA. So is he completely malleable in, in the way he's going to build this thing and, and put people in the position where they can succeed best, or which it sounds like? Or is he going to be a guy with kind of a modus operandi where he's going to say, this is the way we're going to play basketball, and either you fit it or you don't. Mm -hmm. We really don't know that at this point, but we're going to find out. And I would guess that throughout this entire process of free agency 
and of kind of roster management that Bjorkren and Pritchard have kind of spent a lot of time together and had a lot of discussions about how this is going to go. And that probably extended far be far before uh, Bjorkren was actually even hired. So, you know, it, it, you've got Miles as an asset. He is a really good stretch five offensively. You've got Sabonis, who's a terrific pick and roll guy. They execute differently at different spots. I, I think that that gives them some flexibility. And, and I think that that's a good thing in the NBA because you're going to want to play matchups every once in a while. And these guys being different from one another in, in pretty substantial ways, I, I think that gives you some of that flexibility to be able to go attack different teams in different ways. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point as well. I mean, I'm just curious to see – what this rotation looks like because we know Jeremy yeah. Nams hopefully is supposed to come back healthy. Pretty much it's the same roster. They just got rid of TJ Leaf and added um, LaCrue. I don't even know what his first name is. I can't even pronounce or what is his name? Do you well, know? Well, it's Jalen. Jalen LaCue. LaCue. That's where I was messed up. Yeah. On. So Jalen LaCue. I was laughing when Woj put the tweet out. It just said LaCue. It didn't even have his first name. And I was like, <laughs> seriously, like, who is this guy? And they call him Baby Westbrook. So it's like, uh, Hey, uh, I think Tony East put this out on Twitter. He was like, yeah, Cassius Stanley and uh, LaCue are going to have a really nice dunk contest in practice, which I was like, hey, that's that's exciting. So, But, yeah, I mean, what? Did you, okay, I guess I can go there real quick. What did you think about the Cassius Stanley draft? Well, I, I think that – I mean, this is a little bit cynical, but if the All-Star game winds up being held and it's held here in Indianapolis, I think that the Pacers – have their hometown guy in the dunk contest. Ah. You know, I, I think that they drafted a dunk contest winner and, and a guy with some upside, and, and it's reasonable upside. I mean, you know, he scored 12, 13 points a game for Duke. He did some good things. He's not very long, but he is laterally quick. There, there are – he has tools in his toolbox that make him a guy at 54 where you go, you know what, all right, you take a shot at him being maybe an upgrade – from Edmund Sumner, you know, and, oh, and a, a yeah. young guy who maybe they can develop at a level that they haven't been able to develop Sumner. We'll see. It's, it's going to be kind of interesting. I, I don't mind it, though. I, I think they won. They just won the dunk contest, though. <laughs> yeah, no, we've, we've had some people come on and talk about Cassius Stanley, and it's, you know, there's been some optimism about him because of his athletic ability being – it's kind of funny to me that he's super close with Westbrook and then all of a sudden we go out and trade T.J. Lee for baby Westbrook. Like, what? I mean, the Pacers are just trying to get super athletic with these, you know, lower-tier guys. I mean, the G League team might be more fun to watch than the Pacers at some point <laughs> because of all the high flyers they have, you know. But um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens this year. I'm, I'm feeling a little pessimistic just because I feel like the rest, the rest of the Eastern Conference pretty much got better outside of Toronto. I feel like Toronto kind of got worse losing Ibaka and Gasol. But um, as far as West, uh, the rest of the Eastern Conference, I just feel like the Pacers didn't make any changes. They can get better internally. But on paper, I feel like they're probably going to be a six or seven seed this season. You know what? I, I think that – and this, this is just a different way to look at it. I think that the East got different. I don't know that they got better. Uh, I, I know what the Pacers are, and I think – if you infuse this thing with a little energy and, and you're a little bit more, more versatile in the way you attack offensively, mm -hmm. I, I think that the Pacers can be a slightly better team, like you said, from what they were last year just by upgrading the guys they already have. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that they're an interesting team. I, they didn't win the offseason, but they didn't lose it either. And yeah. sometimes the best deal you make is the one you don't make. Mm. And, and so, you know, I mean, if I were to grade Kevin Pritchard's offseason, I'd probably grade him a C just mm -hmm. because, you know, standing – hell, I could stand Pat. You know, I could make the T.J. Leaf trade for Jalen LeCue. I could draft Cassius Stanley at 54. I mean, you're kind of playing with the house's money, right? Didn't <laughs> yeah. go out on his skinny limb, made a hire – that I think was as basketball as strategic in terms of basketball as it was financial. Uh -huh. And, and so, you know, I think it's a C off season, but it's a B level team and you maintain that at the very least. So I, I think it is going to be interesting. We're going to see just how smart 
Kevin Pritchard was in, in sort of standing pat and going out and getting a guy like Bjorkren instead of getting somebody with a track record. This is, I, I think that, and, and this happens in terms of management at all levels in all businesses. The longer you're there, the, the skinnier the limb gets. Yeah. And I think the limb's getting a little bit skinny for Kevin. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see because, I mean, he's got a big decision coming up this next offseason in 2021 yeah. with Victor Oladipo. And this is the guy that really can change everything for the Pacers this season. Like, if he comes in excited to play for Nate Bjorkren and Bjorkren's able to put him in the right position to, you know, profile his best assets or best attributes for this team – I think the Pacers will be okay, and I think Oladipo will be okay. But the biggest problem I have with Oladipo is coming into the season, is he playing for his next contract or is he playing for the Pacers? And so if there's any issue where he's feeling like he's not getting involved enough, where they're, they're doing too much with Sabonis and Brogdon or Warren or whomever, and he feels like he's the third or fourth option, how does he take that? Does he try to take over games? I mean, there's a lot of different variables that you have to look at when it comes to Oladipo in this upcoming season. I mean, I always felt like his value was so low that they probably couldn't make a trade that they liked until the trade deadline. So he's somebody I would keep my eye on for the Pacers if they are going to make a move at the deadline. I think Turner is somebody as well. But if things are clicking well, I don't think they'll make any moves. But if they're struggling, which I kind of foresee them doing a little bit because of a new system, a new coach, and how short the offseason is, I feel like it could be a slow start for the Pacers and there might be a little bit of uh, panic mode, I guess you could say, from Pacer fans when they see this team struggle yeah. early on. Just because you know how it is. You bring a new coach in, it takes a little while to get things going. Um, you're trying to implement a, a, a roster that's, you know, probably not the perfect build with uh, two centers in there. And um, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm, – I feel pessimistic, and I'm sure people are probably getting tired of hearing me be so negative. But – I just, I just think there's a lot of things to keep an eye on because I think the Pacers trying to make moves this offseason shows you that they're not content with the, where this roster is at right now. You know, your point about Oladipo and which Oladipo is going to be here attitudinally is really well made. And I, I, in watching the Indiana-Ohio State game over the weekend, I had the same thought about Justin Fields, the quarterback for the Buckeyes, where is he trying to win a Heisman Trophy or is he trying to win football games? Is he trying to buffet his draft status or would he be willing, you know, to just hand the ball off and, and allow the running game for Ohio State to dictate terms against Indiana? And what happened on Saturday, I think, is Justin Fields, along with Ryan Day, I mean, Ryan Day certainly complicit in this, wanted Justin Fields to put up some big numbers and continue that role toward Heisman kind of uh, relevant mm -hmm. and, and having people think that maybe he might be a better professional quarterback ultimately than Lawrence. Um, but that didn't suit Ohio State this past Saturday. And it's one of the reasons that 35-7 became 42-35 and all of a sudden Indiana had a chance to tie that game. Yeah, that's I, I think that those two situations are very similar. And I don't blame Victor. Like, you know what? It, you got to decide what you're all about. Are you about winning or are you about money or are you about money while hoping to win or are you about winning while hoping for money? You know what I mean? Can you can you please both masters? Yeah. And I don't think that Victor has shown that he can. And I'm really curious, like you said, which Victor Oladipo we're going to get this coming season. And, and I think maybe we, we got a bit of an answer in the bubble last year. Yeah. Because Victor, not only from an athletic standpoint was he wanting, but from an attitudinal standpoint, he was wanting. And when other guys got the ball in crunch time, he didn't like it. And when he was playing against the, the, the Heat, and Jay Crowder is on the offside, uh, on the weak side, and Vic turns his back and gets back cut by Crowder on an alley-oop. That's pathetic. Yeah. And you can't have that. You, you can't have that version of Victor Oladipo for 72 games because that kind of a guy becomes a problem in the locker room, and you can't – this team and this management will not tolerate problems in the locker room. Yeah, and, and that's the problem because, I mean, they brought in Bjorkman to try to – be a little bit more personal with these players. We talked about that. We talked about how yeah. McMillan kind of was let the guys 
figure it out on their own and you just coach basketball. You know, you, you didn't get into the, the drama part of it. But from what we know with Bjorken, he's been talking to Vic all the time. So he's obviously trying to make a relationship. But I will say this, like, if Vic does become that way, it, it'll be very problematic for this Pacers team this season because last year we already saw frustrations from Brogdon, from Justin Holiday and other players with Vic for not, you know, being, you know, the one to held him, hold himself accountable when when they were getting beat, you know, basically trying yeah. to force the blame and push the blame off on other people. So it's interesting to see how this whole thing goes. But I will say this, like, I don't feel good about Victor resigning after this season. That's just my feeling on it. I just would hate to lose him for nothing. And kind of similar to what we talked about with Boston. I mean, they might get a sign-and-trade deal, deal done for Hayward. But I would hate to lose Oladipo for nothing, especially since this is the guy – that you traded Paul George for. Yeah. And this is like, you know, you're, you're going back and retracking everything. Paul George was your franchise player, guy that's supposed to be the next, you know, best pacer for the next 15 years. He ends up wanting out. You trade for Oladipo and a guy that had been, um, you know, okay, not great by any stretch of the means, just a good basketball player. He comes here, has a great season, and then has injuries, and, and then now there's a possibility he could want out. So now you have to figure out, what do you do with Oladipo? And I think that the best thing they could do is write it out. If he plays really well, you know, and then don't trade him and try to figure something out in the off season. But if it's getting to the point where you don't feel comfortable about him staying, then you really, really, really have to consider trading him at the trade deadline. So you don't lose that asset for nothing. Well, and, and so, it, because I'm a little bit ignorant of this uh, kind of thing, but you could still, you could keep him through the end of the season and as you got toward free agency, you could still do a sign and trade with Vic if, if, his, if his value was such that there was demand to get that kind of deal done. Yeah. Well, I will say this. There's a lot of teams that have a lot of cap space next year because they're all in the Giannis boat. And not everybody's going to get Giannis. So a lot of those teams that don't get Giannis will still have cap space. And if Oladipo plays, you know, incredible this year, he'll probably be on that list of guys that teams want to go out there and pay if he can show that he's healthy. So that's my biggest fear. Like Miami, they clear a bunch of cap space. I know they signed some guys, but all those second-year deals are non-guaranteed, stuff like that. Uh, Dallas is a team that's got a lot of cap space. So there's there's other teams out there that could make a push for Vic if he does show that he is the guy he used to be. And so that's my biggest concern is just losing it for nothing. And he might do a sign-and-trade because he doesn't want to make Indiana lose him for nothing. But at the same point, what are they going to get back in a sign-and-trade? Right. And, and is it going to be like Danny Ainge where Pritchard's like, well, we want this player, this player, this player. They're like, nope. And so then he just signs out right with another team. That's that's the only problem I see with uh, waiting until the offseason because then he's more in control of his destination than the Pacers are. It is going to be really interesting to see exactly how this plays out. And that's kind of uh, – I'm, I'm sensing from Pacers fans on social media that that's the source of their frustration. Yeah. is that they just don't know. And, and so, you know, they're, they're kind of going to the dark side and seeing how this might play out really, really poorly. And instead of, you know, hoping for the best, I, I think we're all fearing the worst. Well, I think it's partially that, but I think a lot of it also comes down to the reporting that Jay Michael put out a couple of weeks ago, talking about him telling other teams who wanted to play with him. And I think whenever you get that kind of stuff reported – some people don't believe it. Some people do believe it. You know, Vic's team act like they didn't get any emails. Jay said he emailed them multiple times. Whatever. There's some miscommunication there. Somebody's lying to us. Would more than likely probably be Vic's agent just because he's trying to keep a straight face for Vic. And I think it's hilarious that Shams has been his mouthpiece. Uh, literally yeah. everything for him. Like, the one that made me the most annoyed was the Cassius Stanley draft, the drafting of Cassius Stanley. Vic comes out and puts out a tweet out and says, welcome to Indy Cash, just whatever. And then Shams retweets it and says, Victor welcomes rookie to Indiana. And he didn't do that for <laughs> any, other, any other team. I was like, what in the world? That is so bizarre. What does he have on Shams? But um, long story short, I mean, I understand why people are just want to move on from Vic because I don't want the drama anymore. That's kind of where I'm at. It's kind of where I was, especially like three weeks ago. But now that time's kind of died down, it's kind of just like, I just kind of forgot about it. And that's just the kind of the world we live in. So while a lot of people might be upset that we didn't pull off a big move this offseason, come the regular season, which is I think training camp's like in eight days now, uh, I think a lot of things are going to be like, uh, okay, well, it's over with. So we can just uh, focus on this season, and they'll forget about it. But 
come the next offseason, they'll remember it. But I think at the end of the day, Kent, a lot of these fans are just going to be excited to watch Pacers basketball and, and see what this team can do under a new coach, even though they did not make a splashy move in free agency. Yeah, and, and things that – like one thing that players sort of take for granted, especially here in Indianapolis and, and in central Indiana, is people here tend to be fans of the team more than fans of the guy. Yeah, And, you know, even with Reggie, I mean, it's the team that, that generated the heat and, and not necessarily the guy. And, and that may be – that may fly in opposition to the way other cities kind of behave around their NBA talent. And, and so that may become kind of a bit of a frustration for a guy like Victor Oladipo. He doesn't live here. He's not out in the community uh, during the offseason a whole bunch. And, and so it doesn't really feel like, I mean, Reggie had the house at Geist that, you know, Marita burned down and, and you had all of these things here in central Indiana. You, you saw Reggie at the old pancake house or the original pancake house in Fishers, and you still see him there from time to time. And, and Vic, you just don't have that connectivity for whatever reason. He's down in South Florida. He likes that lifestyle. Paul likes being out in LA. Miles is out in LA. People in Indianapolis tend to really love people who enjoy being here. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that maybe Malcolm is one of those guys. Malcolm, at, at the very least, had that radiothon with 1070 The Fan where, you know, he raised money for, for good causes for his, uh, uh, for his foundation and his family's foundation. We like that kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. And, and so if Victor doesn't want to be here, that's cool. You know, he can move on and he can go someplace else as long as we get value, like you said, back for him and the Pacers don't take a step back because he leaves, which I don't think would happen anyway. You know, that, that's just life in the NBA. Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up a great point there talking about, you know, we just want guys that are going to be here. And I think that's why there was a lot of excitement around Gordon Hayward. You know, yeah. a, a guy that literally just bought a house here. His kids are enrolled in school here. And I, I didn't think too much about that. I, I think his kids going to school here was interesting to me. But with the NBA season restarting into, in December, like 22nd, he, he could still re-enroll his kids for second semester in a, in a new town. And I know that's probably hard on the kids. And I'm sure his wife probably wanted to be here too just because family's here and stuff like that. But I, I just think Pacer fans, though, wanted somebody that wanted to be here. And for all we know, Miles Turner seems to want to be here. Um, yep. It doesn't seem like he wants to go anywhere. So if you're wanting to trade Miles Turner, I mean, as far as wanting guys to be here, that's not because he doesn't want to be here. I think a lot of it's just the fit with him and Sabonis. And, you know, Sabonis has been working out in L.A. with Aaron Holiday and Bill Baino has been working with him. So that's exciting uh, to know that he's still pretty connected with this team and it looks like his plantar fascia is doing well. So, I mean, there's, there are positive things to be excited about. And I think one of the most interesting things was when Boston apparently – Asked for T.J. Warren in the in the Turner trade to get Gordon Hayward, Pacers said no because they view T.J. Warren as a you know a cornerstone of their franchise, someone they're going to build around. And I thought that was a really interesting report that came out because T.J. Warren is a guy that we got for nothing, and you right. know you really probably thought he'd be like your fourth option, but come the bubble, he was the number one option. So I'm really interested to see how Bjorkren uh, utilizes T.J. Warren with this current Pacers roster and see what they look like fully healthy. I mean, there is some intrigue to that because they were not given a fair opportunity to show what they could be only playing, I think, 85 total minutes together last season. You know, and, and TJ, we, we didn't just get for nothing. We got stuff to take him. Yeah, that's true. You know, we got like the two second rounders. I don't know which second rounder left with TJ Leaf, but that second rounder, if that's what it took to get TJ Leaf's contract off the books, and got us under the uh, tax threshold, you know, good for us. I, I think those second rounders are really important. And, and T.J. Leaf's an interesting dude. T.J. Leaf, all he wants to do is ball. He, he isn't interested in all the other stuff. You're not going to see him go on, you know, TV shows. He, he ain't going to be, you know, he ain't going to be like Victor Oladipo. Wait, wait, are you talking uh, Leaf or Warren? Oh, I'm talking about Warren. Okay, That's you said TJ. Leaf. I was like, what? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I was talking about Leaf. And, and the second rounder leaving, and then TJ and, and Warren uh, not gotcha. wanting to be on, you know, what the, un, uh, the unknown singer, whatever the hell that show is. Mass Singer. <laughs> yeah, the Mass Singer. That tells you how much I'm into reality TV. <laughs> um, 
TJ Warren isn't going to be that guy. Yeah. So, you know, I like ballers and I like guys who want to be here. It seems like he does. Uh, Malcolm, I think, is kind of that guy when he can stay healthy. And Domas, we know, is that kind of guy. And, and I think that, that Turner out playing, we know he was playing pickup ball out in LA because he was on the court when Clay Thompson got hurt. Um, you know, hopefully he's kind of in that same boat, de- developing that awkward athleticism a- as best he can to be a, uh, you know, be a 14 to 16 point guy who can be a rim, uh, rim protector at the same time. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing. So, I mean, Coming, coming down to it here, Kent, just to re- revisit my previous co- uh, question I asked you. We didn't really get into details, but when it comes to the Pacers amongst the rest of the Eastern Conference, after seeing the moves that have been made, um, is there a team that you think could jump them from last season that Ooh. was behind them in the standings? Man, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm, I do. I'm kind of running through. Well, I mean, Brooklyn, obviously. Brooklyn and, uh, and Philadelphia, I think, are going to jump us this year. They could. Philadelphia is really interesting to me. I like what they did. Getting Seth Curry a you know, career year shooting the ball from three. I forget what his percentage was, but it was like through the roof, like 40-something percent. Right. And then they get Danny Green. I know Danny Green was a little bit uh, of – you know, the, the butt of all jokes for the Lakers last year, which I didn't really get that. I mean, he didn't shoot the ball great, but I think he was going to have some motivation. And I think he makes a lot of sense. It's a lot better than Tobias Harris and um, Josh Richardson. I think what they did was a lot better. It's really, I, I think that, I think that it's going to be interesting. What they're a, they're a strange team to me. Mm. That's a, that's a strange operation. And once you get like, like the Pacers, I, the word I would use to describe the Pacers always is competent, mm-hmm. right? They're always competent. The Philadelphia 76ers are always strange, you know, and, and it, once you are what you are, it is really difficult to be something else. And I think that that's going to be fascinating to see what uh, the 76ers wind up doing. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the Nets do. Because yeah. I, you know what, you got guys, everybody thinks that they're, they're going to be, you know, NBA finalists out of the East with, with Durant and Irving, but Durant hadn't played in a year, more than, you know, more than a year. And uh, Irving is, it was shuttered last year and gets hurt. I, I don't know exactly how good they're going to be because I don't know how healthy they're going to wind up. And the Nets, Somehow or another, just like the Knicks are always the Knicks and the Sixers are the Sixers and the Pacers are the Pacers, I think the Nets are kind of always the Nets, and they're going to figure out a way to be the Nets. But I do think on paper, like, forget about it. They, they got two of the best ten players in the league. They are significantly better right now on paper again than the Pacers are. Yeah, that's where I'm a little concerned with this team, and I, and I hate to say it, but, like, even Philadelphia getting Dwight Howard makes me a little nervous just because, like, you think about how how much Dwight Howard kind of abused the Pacers when they played against him. I mean, he was just – they couldn't keep him off the glass. And he was really good for the Lakers. Uh, I know the finals he did not play well, but up to the finals, I mean, he was really good against Jokic. And a team like Indiana that's got two bigs, I think that that's another reason they probably went out and got a guy like Dwight Howard to back up Embiid. One, because Embiid can get hurt. And Dwight's, you know, talented enough and smart enough to – uh, you know, fill that role for a little bit of time. Not saying I'm like, it's not a game-changing signing. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it is a impressive signing, a guy that they could use to, you know, really help back up and bead. They get off that terrible Al Horford contract, which I yeah. could not believe that it only took one first-round pick to get off of it. Um, Sam Presti, I mean, that guy has got more picks than any team yeah. does over the next five years. I mean, it's unbelievable. And they're completely rebuilding that team. I mean, so it's interesting. Too bad we couldn't have got George Hill in that trade back for TJ Leaf. <laughs> throw somebody right. else in there to throw some salary cap in there to fill it. Cause I just feel like George Hill would have been cool back in Indiana. But yeah, I just, I just look at, I look at Philadelphia. I think they're heading in the right direction. And I think with their GM, Daryl Morey, if they're not performing at the level they should be performing at, he's going to make deals and he's going to get that team better. He's done that for multiple seasons in Houston and I think that's going to be his M.O., just 
go out there and get the best players available to try to make this roster work, which can hurt you, but it also can really help you. He's a little bit more aggressive, and he can be more aggressive than Indiana. And, and then, of course, Brooklyn, I know you were, like, not sure about those two guys coming off injuries, but I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, Kevin Durant's unbelievable. He's a top-two basketball player when fully healthy in the in the NBA. So we'll have to see what he does come back to. But, I mean, he's incredible. And they just signed Joe Harris to a big deal. He's a great shooter, a uh, pretty good scorer. And they still have Levert and Dinwiddie. So, I mean, they've got a pretty balanced team. Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, these are guys that can go out there and compete. Boston, I mean, they might get a little bit worse without Gordon Hayward, but they did get Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, and, and they made some moves. I don't really dislike their roster at all. I think it's still pretty competent. I think Daniel Tice is coming back as well. And, of course, they have uh, – then you have Miami, who lost Jay Crowder, which could be a little bit of a hurt there. Right. But they, they still have a pretty competent roster. Toronto is the big one. They lose Gasol and Ibaka, lose a lot of veteran leadership, but they still have OG and Anobi, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry. So there's their core four. And um, their, their center position, they got Aaron Baines. And I think Aaron Baines was really good last year for Phoenix. So I, I really <laughs> – I look at these teams and I'm just like, man, I just don't know where the Pacers can get above six or seven. And, and then Milwaukee got Drew Holiday. So – I just, I just don't see where Indiana can really get above those teams in the standings unless one of those teams gets significant injuries. Well, let me, let me be real clear in the way I answered your question. And uh-huh. You asked who jumped the Pacers. So I took the teams that were in back of them and quickly tried to evaluate them and, right. and said that Brooklyn had jumped. The teams that finished ahead of the Pacers, I still believe are ahead of the Pacers. Like, the, to me, the Pacers don't have a, a Jason Tatum. You know, yeah. it, it, the Pacers, that I, I think that, you know, cobbling stuff together, they have a, a Jalen Brown. Um, I do think that even with Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet, the, the Raptors are still competitive. But I do think – you brought up Dwight Howard. And, and my thing with Dwight, Dwight Howard is this, that if he was really – uh, a driving force or, or a guy that the Lakers needed to get back to the finals, that Palenka would have, would have found a way to re-sign him and, and not let him walk out the door. And, and so I'm always leery of guys leaving as free agents to, to find the reason why they didn't stay. And maybe it came down to money. Maybe Dwight Howard is some kind of savant and he thinks that the – the Sixers are going to be better somehow. But from the Lakers' point of view, it, it looks like they were like, you know what, we can replace Dwight Howard. We're going to be okay. Well, they did. They got Marcus Gasol. Right. And they also right. got Montrez Harrell. <laughs> right. And so they're, they're actually better off than they were. And so they – and my point remains, if Dwight Howard was a giant asset or a big asset – and, and although he does play well against Pacers, as does a guy like Andre Drummond, mm. right? You, you get those guys who are, you know, not slight. And, and I think that even though Miles Turner has built his body, he would still comparatively be thought of as slight compared to Drummond and, and compared to Howard. Those guys tend to kind of eat the Pacers for lunch. So yeah. as far as competing with the Pacers – Howard's going to be able to do his business, but I think as far as being a force toward a championship in Philadelphia, I, I, I would question whether that's <laughs> a huge help because he's no longer with the pace or no longer with the Lakers. Well, yeah. And I, and I, like I said, I might've been like wording it incorrectly. I just feel like to back up and be, that's a pretty big, yeah. that's a pretty nice pickup. And the fact that the Pacers have had troubles with him. That was my biggest concern because, like, yeah. even when he started against the Pacers when they didn't have Anthony Davis, or actually I think he might have came off the bench. I think he had, like, close, like, was it 20 rebounds that night that he almost had? I mean, he just was torching the Pacers. I mean, getting all the putbacks, Pacers were out of position. He just got an offensive rebound, put the dunk back in. I mean, that's just kind of what he does. He's not a shooter. He's not a great passer. He's just a, he's a pick-and-roll guy. He's a rim runner. And I think that the Pacers can sometimes struggle with that. And, I mean – Let's just be real. I know Goga's your guy, but like if Goga's out there with the second team and Dwight Howard's going up against him, uh, yeah, I think that's Dwight's not good. Yeah, Dwight's going to have his way with Goga unless Goga just all of a sudden becomes this all-star level player over the over the off season. I mean, I don't anticipate that happening, but hey, you never know. Goga is uh, the closest thing to God that the Pacers have. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, Ken. I mean, it's just I look at this team and I'm and I'm just 
trying to wrap my mind around what is different about, you know, last year, this year. And it's the only thing that's different is the coach. And I'm just still worried about one, number one, locker room issues is what I'm worried about. Right. And two, I think my other thing is just how this, this whole core meshes together because we really have yet to see it. And I think that maybe I'm a little too pessimistic. Maybe I'm a little too skeptical of what they can do. And I will maybe get that. uh, Maybe I'll start to see more optimism once I see them play together. But right now I'm just a little bit hesitant to say that, Oh, I think they're going to be a really good team in the East because for the past three years, since Vix got here, I think that I've kind of overvalued them and thought they could be a little bit better than they were. So now maybe I'm just, retracting all of my thoughts from previous seasons to say, well, I don't know if they're really as good as I thought they could be. Well, I think they fall someplace in the middle. Yeah, right? that's probably They're fair. the fourth or fifth best team in the East. They were last year. They, they finished as the four seed. I, I would think that you would slot them as the fifth best team in the East, given that the Heat were the fifth seed and they wound up going to the NBA Finals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's who they are. And, and that's what they are. And I think as long as expectations are, are there, I, I don't think that we're going to be disappointed. I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how fans, fans who are so critical schematically of Nate McMillan and his plays coming out of timeouts and the way he coached down the stretch in tight games, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to Bjorkren and what Bjorkren does. And I think that we're going to find out as a result of having a new guy whether it's the fans just kind of being nutty and not knowing what they're talking about, or maybe it was McMillan who, who did things that were a little bit too conservative and, and didn't coach well down the stretch. I, I think that's going to be interesting. No, it, it definitely will be, Kent. And we could ramble on here for days about different things that could happen. <laughs> but I think this covers up the, the free agency thing. I would be very shocked if the Pacers made another move before this season. And I, okay, let me ask you this because this is one thing I was going to hit on earlier and I totally forgot. So, end of the podcast I gotta throw back in here do you think that this offseason being so shortened made a huge impact on the Pacers and their ability to negotiate no I don't think so I I think that that the Pacers um I I think that because they are who they are they were able to kind of negotiate this offseason and get done what they wanted to do I I think that they've been really busy this offseason in deciding how they wanted to proceed what do they need and do they already have it in house? And, and if they do, they've got everybody under contract uh, on, uh, with the exception of Justin holiday, who they just re-signed. So I, I think they had multiple paths. They could have traveled. And at the end of the day, I think Kevin Pritchard just likes this team and, and has decided to dance with the girl that brung him and has decided he and Nate Bjorkman together have decided that this is the way, to go about stuff and and given this short off season and the the kind of truncating truncated training camp that they're going to have i think having this roster and this rotation return intact by and large is a really good thing for them and while it's a new coach i think it's much easier for a coach to adapt to a roster than the roster wait yeah than the roster a new roster to adapt to an old coach Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think that there, there's reason for optimism that in a 72-game season, the Pacers are going to be able to win 48, 47, 48. Mm-hmm. I think that's reasonable to expect. That's who they tend to be. Yeah, well, let's see what they do. Let's see how they play. Let's see how the schedule looks. I know it's already been kind of released on how it's going to work and how, what teams they will be playing. So we'll see how they do. Um, I will say this. I was looking at the Western Conference today because Bobby Marks said he had the Portland Trailblazers as his number two overall team in the Western Conference. And I'm thinking to myself, how does he get to the how, – how does he get to there with his thought process on that just because right. they went out and got Covington, re-signed Rodney Hood and Carmelo? Like what? Enos Cantor? Like what? What? <laughs> what is he thinking to get them at number two? So I'm looking. I'm like going through the whole Western Conference and it's like, I left. I ended up leaving Houston out of the playoffs just because I yeah. feel like they're going to blow it up. But I mean, I had Phoenix in there because I think they did a great job with their additions. Golden State, I think, will still make it, even though I don't think they'll be as you know much of a contender without Clay Thompson. But going out and getting Kelly Oubre was a big uh, a signing for them, in my opinion, especially when with Steph back, hopefully fully healthy, uh, James Wiseman, Draymond Green, 
And of course they still have Andrew Wiggins, but I mean, this is a team that I think could still compete, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I was looking at this whole entire Western conference and I'm just like, I don't understand how Portland gets up there. Like I barely have Portland making the playoffs. Yeah. So, that made no sense to me. I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, 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 that's it's silly season for, yeah. for some of those guys. And I think that that's part of that. I think sometimes I over, value some of these guys like harry giles got a minimum contract you like and he was highlighting that like harry giles was one of the best high school players ever but he's like signed to a minimum contract for a reason because he can't stay healthy it's like i don't understand why that catapults anybody like covington's a really good pickup for them they needed someone like covington with that roster another guy that can shoot and play defense really well so yeah i mean i'm cool with that but it's like man i just can't see them getting past like i think dallas got a lot better i think I think definitely Utah got better. I'm not sure about Denver. They lost Jeremy Grant, which I think was the weirdest offseason move. Jeremy Grant leaving leaving Denver to go, and it was for the same amount of money. They were going to pay him the same amount of money, but he left Denver for Detroit to have a bigger offensive role. Like, that made zero sense to me. You know, Dallas is going to be really interesting, depending on how much time Porzingis loses. Yeah, I, I think that that's going to be an interesting team to watch. And I think that you're right that they, at the trade deadline, could wind up being uh, a team that will overvalue Victor Oladipo as a guy who can maybe goose them toward the top. Yeah, Dallas, I'm going to keep my eyes on as well. Denver possibly as well, just because if they start to slip a little bit in the standings. I mean, yeah. they've got MPJ, so he's going to start. They've got Jamal Murray. They've got Jokic. They, I think Millsap returned there as well. So, I mean, they right. still have their core together. They only lost – Jeremy Grant, who was really good this year, but they still have their core from previous years in there. So, anyway, I'm just rambling, Kent. Pacers uh, <laughs> basketball, we're back. We, we got some new players. Not the new players that you probably wanted, but we got two guys that are really fun to watch their highlights, Kasha Stanley and Jalen LeCue. Other than that, Pacers pretty much stay pat, and we'll head into the, uh, the regular season with the same roster, new coach. So, any final words before we get off here, Kent? Hey, we ain't sexy, but we're effective. <laughs> All right, everybody, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. He's at Kent Sterling. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and we will talk to y'all later. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.